0: Hello and welcome once again back to the Coffee and Heroes podcast, back now for our new monthly reviews show. So this is going to be our new format moving forward. We're going to be looking at each month in as a whole, looking at all of the release weeks there, picking out our favourite titles from that month, throwing in a few honourable mentions and of course, you know, some general stuff with us, what's going on with the store, and maybe one or two chats about a certain comic convention, certainly for this month anyway. So yeah, your host is always Alan, owner of Coffee and Heroes in Belfast, and joined as always by Keith. Good afternoon, sir. It's a Saturday afternoon. We're actually recording for once. This is, this is Uncharted Territory.
1: Well, yeah, absolutely. We've recorded the odd Sunday, haven't we, over the years? Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, it is Uncharted Territory. The reason it is Uncharted Territory is because uh, we've both had a fairly, a fairly full-on week. Uh, work-wise and next week it's not going to get any uh any less full-on for me i'm uh sort of uh away for most of the week for work so i sort of uh <laughs> pitched alan we need to do this or else we're not going to do it <laughs> and uh, and uh, yeah well i mean we're 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 sort of back up to to some sort of level of uh of normalcy with regard to our the periodicity of our recording so we didn't want to let it didn't want to let it lapse
0: no, absolutely not, and it's just I have the advantage of being able to do it on a Saturday. I'll be honest; I haven't been one hundred percent well this week. You can probably hear it a little bit in my voice, mm. but uh, it's one of the the nice things now. Obviously, with having hired someone for the store, someone trusted with with Chris doing it on Thursdays and Fridays for us, and he's available the odd Saturday. So. I I probably could have been okay to go in today, but I just thought I'd take that extra day and just, you know, recover properly and then be back fighting fit from uh, next Monday. Cause I had a look at the invoice already and it's a big looking week. So uh, <laughs> I'll uh, name energy.
1: I <laughs> was in this morning. Uh, you know, had a, had a wee bit of, a wee bit of business to do in town, uh, no serious, picking up a uh, Jurassic word Lego for my, for my nephew. first, first very birthday. serious. Uh, very serious. And uh, of course swung into the store for a, for a coffee and, uh, Chris's head seems to be above water. Couple of couple of regulars in there, so a bit of chat and then uh, and then a run back for the train to to get the old script sorted for the for the pod.
0: Yeah, and here we are. I mean, the first thing, of course, we're we're going to jump on, and one of the reasons I'm probably not hundred percent, and you're feeling a wee bit yourself as well, is this time last week we were at Thought Bubble. So Thought Bubble, yeah. it's a it's a yearly convention. It's held certainly in the last couple of years in Harrogate. I believe it was in Leeds before that, but a lovely little town called Harrogate. It's uh, a convention center in the center of town. It's primarily spread over three massive halls. Uh, You've got tons of guests there. You have tons of panels there. You have stores representing there. You have CGC opportunities there. You have cosplayers there. It's very much a comic con. It's not interested in sort of TV actors or, you know, movie actors, things like that. It's very much all about the craft of the industry. So, you know, you've great writers there. You've great artists there. You've got colors. You've got letters. You've got publishers. Uh, and it's and it's a remarkably open convention as well. I mean, there was even a what was called a mid con sort of celebration, uh, which was in a a nearby hotel where you get the chance to sort of mingle and mix with a lot of that talent and, you know, have a few drinks and have a bit more of a casual conversation as well, Uh, and uh, it was a fantastic weekend, I mean, myself I was there, Vicky went, we brought Alfie with us, Keith joined us, we took the boat over to Liverpool, we had a look around Liverpool for some comic stores, a little bit of uh, slim pickings there, unfortunately, uh, mostly Forbidden Mm. Planet and Worlds Apart, though we did find a really random. The one in the bottom of a uh, shopping center that <laughs> was was interesting. It
1: was, it was interesting, but uh, it it was the one that did the most for me with regard to to filling gaps. I have finally completed my run on Mutant X, which stars the X Men's Havoc. I needed three issues to to complete that. Uh, I grabbed some X Men, uh, some X Force, just to to fill those gaps. So I was I was pretty pleased with it. Now I have to say that was the that was the the most fruitful uh, for me, even if it was the strangest.
0: It was just strange because the boxes were so tightly packed. They're so hard to look for. It's one of my bugbears. I always try to make sure the bays in the store are filled but not to the point where you literally can't see what the titles are. Uh, There's also no boards involved. Uh, And some of the pricing was a little bit skewiff, although I do understand a a deal was there to be made for you when you were uh, picking your issues up.
1: (laughs) There's no way man. I'm going to a store like that I'm paying what's what's, uh, what's on the price tag, so... uh... I uh, I did a little bit of uh, negotiating
0: and uh, and I think I got my way. Yeah, it was nicely done. And then, uh, yeah, we drove from Liverpool up to, to Harrogate and spent the weekend there. The convention was on the Saturday and the Sunday. And then we came back, we drove back to Liverpool this Sunday night and then got the boat over overnight. The the crossing over in the boat in the way there was not the smoothest thing in the world. Uh, it wow, was on yeah. rather choppy waters.
1: Vicky um, <laughs> and, uh, and Alfie had gone back to the cabin and uh, Alan and I were, were sitting up on the... Up in the bar, just uh having a having a quiet one, just to finish off the evening, and uh you, you know, at one stage I got up to go to the bathroom. Whenever you are sitting, you are fine, but whenever you start walking, the boat is is rocking. Uh, you know, I guess the front to back. I uh, thought, what's that? Not port to starboard, keel keel to stern. Oh, I, I can't remember, <laughs> but uh, but uh, you know, so front to back, and as you move along the boat, the boat floor drops out from under you, so you almost feel light. And then it pushes up so you're you're onto you, so you almost feel feel heavy. Feel like a superhero who could change his mass. <laughs> Yeah, and it, was, it, was, uh, and it was. It was certainly cool.
0: at the point as well where anybody walking past you didn't know if they were drunk or just you know trying to maintain their balance because it was it was filled with a, a rather robust crowd, shall we say, going over to Liverpool. Yeah, and, you know, absolutely. you get the impression there was stag weekends and hen weekends and and all sorts going over there as well. But we were we were there for pure reasons and over to the con. And yeah, the con itself was was fantastic. I mean, I know you got to go to a few more panels than I did. Uh, there was one point where I had to go to a diamond retailer event, which in itself was worthwhile just for the the joy of having a. Private panel, so to speak, with uh, Scott mm-hmm. Snyder. Uh, I may have bumped into him in the lobby as well, which was, uh, you know, I maintained my cool, of course, as you'd expect. <laughs> Just about. Well, I see,
1: none of the rest of us were there to uh, to make comment on that, so that's what you're telling us. <laughs>
0: exactly. Well, when the story becomes legend, print the legend, as they say. So, uh, but yeah, no, it, it it was really, really good. And then, yeah, with a bit of a private panel with him, and then I came and joined you guys. But you'd managed to get to a couple of panels there as well. But I mean, to give you an idea of some of the the level of talent at this con was was incredible. You know, the aforementioned Scott Snyder, there was James Tinian, there was Ram V, there was. Declan Shelby showed up, you'd Gil Simone, you had Martin Simmons, you'd Cy si Spurrier, you had Kieran Gillen, you had, you know, Charlie Adler, you'd G. Willow Wilson, you'd you just this absolute plethora of talent um there and also approachable, also friendly all signing pretty much everything for free unless I think you were taking the mick and bringing up like 30 books. As somewhere, as somewhere. As somewhere, mostly retailers. Mm -hmm. I can assure you they were mostly retailers. Yeah, yeah. uh, Because I've seen some (laughs) listings already from uh, Thought Bubble Weekend. Ah, that's yeah it's 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 the ugly side of it i suppose but at the same time the creators understand that that's how the industry is you know sometimes supported and driven so like i saw a guy go up to scott snyder it was on the last day when we were getting some stuff signed and he honestly had about 100 books there but snyder didn't even flinch i think they're just used to it you know and it's i suppose in a way it's uh, it's good for them you know it shows that their name has value as well so i don't know it's it's not something i would uh, do
1: it was interesting Because I got a a number of things signed, and uh, it was it was always you know, I always got a really, a really positive return when I said, "Oh, could you sign it to Keith?" Mm -hmm. Because that shows that you're not interested in selling it on; you're getting it for yourself. Yeah. Uh, So yeah, so it was uh, that was that was sort of interesting. Did get a few? I've picked up a few interesting bits and pieces in the hall. Um, Got uh, got a lovely um, nice house in the lake, number one. Um, variant that I got, uh, I got uh, James Tinian to sign. Robert and,
0: uh, Hack, I believe, was the artist.
1: That's the one. Uh, you were it was a, quite a quite a limited, quite a limited edition uh, mm-hmm. variant, I think. Um, I got uh, Department of Truth number one variant signed by both uh, James Tinian and Martin Simmons, and a lovely chat with him. Uh, Charlie Adler signed my uh, my last last my final issue of uh, The Walk of Dead. Uh, with a with a a, a zombie, he, he drew a zombie in the front of it, which was class. I think you saw that, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. Um, so there's a few other uh, a few other bits and pieces um, uh, as well. Got a, got a, an issue of uh, Stormwatch signed by Paul Cornell, uh, who's uh, who's doing great work on Wild Cards at the minute, and did some fantastic work on uh, Wisdom and Captain Britain MI13 back in the day. Um, <laughs> had a good chat with Aaron Campbell as well, the the former uh, the writer or the artist formerly on hellblazer with size prayer and currently the right the artist on west of sundown uh he's quite the dude uh which uh, we, we amusingly shared a joke at the, in, the, in the toilets at the uh at the majestic uh which has uh, continued on majestic, yeah. which is which is uh which has continued on twitter uh so uh so yeah and uh met some met some great heads you know everybody was everybody was really friendly um Panel-wise highlight for me was the the X-Men panel with Cy Breyer, Al Ewing, and uh Karen Gillan, Gillen, uh, which uh, which was just just fantastic. Those guys, I mean it just goes to show you how the X-Men more or less has been taken over by British writers. Uh, you know, you've got Jerry Duggan and uh, and a few heads uh, over in over in the States, but uh, those guys are really guiding it and they're they're very much guiding sense of sinister. Which is what largely the panel was about. Uh, what sends a sinister, which is we've talked about. We talked about in our last uh, preview show, I believe, mm-hmm. um, a little bit further down the podcast track. Um, but uh, we got a, an overview on what the format of that is going to be. Uh, it's uh, you know, it's it's it's, it's spinning out a lot of the stuff that Sinister has been doing in the X Men books, and it's uh, kind of what happens in an all, I guess, whenever Sinister alters alters time uh and uh and, and becomes is in charge but uh, it was very interesting they talked about the format so it's going to be three series uh written by karen gill and Sy spurrier and um uh al ewing and uh, each of those three series is going to have three issues those three issues the number ones are all going to take place 10 years in the future the number twos are all going to take place 100 years in the future and the number threes, a thousand years in the future the first issues are all going to be drawn by the same artist the second issues are all going to be drawn by the same artist and the third issues are all going to be drawn by the same artist so all of the eras will have the same look but will be different from each other because that'll be three that'll be different artists so it's it's a really interesting format uh really excited to, to see what it looks like and they revealed some of the characters from it and how it links to you know went to the the futures we saw on powers of x and, and all of that sort of stuff so Really interesting stuff. Really interesting stuff. And those three are just they were they were dynamite and a panel. They really were. They were good fun <laughs> bouncing off each other. Um really interesting, you know. Karen Gillen's like a like a mastermind and uh and Sy Spurrier's almost like a he's like a an imp <laughs> the way he goes on, but uh, and Al Ewing is you know very Al Ewing, you know, <laughs> but uh, but they're a great
0: great team and uh, clearly enjoying working together. Oh, big time, and yeah, they were all ones that we either got to you know meet at their tables as well or get stuff signed along the way. And but Spurrier was the only one I didn't manage to grab every time I seemed to go near his table, he was away. But uh, Kieran Gillen, we had this nice thing in common because he was also carrying his child around in a baby carrier uh, uh-huh. throughout the con as well. So, but yeah, in terms of like great stuff, nab there, you know, it was great to catch up with Ram again. It's it's nice to have those sort of solid foundations and you know friendships with with creators. Mm-hmm. I mean. I was even standing in the hall at one point dealing with something, you know, on social media. You know, he just tapped me in the shoulders, like how are you? And, you know, we, we got chatting stuff like that. So, one of my prize things I got there, I haven't got yet, but it was uh, a 1 to 100 foil of Detective Comics from Ram's run that he signed. And uh-huh. then it's being sent off to be graded because it was witnessed by a, a CGC verifier. So I'll get that somewhere down the line. I managed to grab a massive Scarface poster by Jock, which is something I've been after for a while. And then probably the nicest thing I got was right at the the very end and it was when we got to meet Scott Snyder and you got the feeling Scott was struggling on the last day. You know been a long weekend. A lot of people there to see him. <laughs> it was, May have been yeah. a drink or two consumed the night before. And uh but he was professional to the end with everybody. You could see he had time for every person who came to his table. But You know, as we walked up with Alfie, you know, his eyes just lit up. He was like, oh, baby, you know, this sort of thing. And then when he found out his name was Alfred, he was really happy. So he signed a Batman number one to Alfred. Thanks from Gotham. Uh, So, you know, Alfie's got a wee uh, burgeoning collection at the moment that would rival some people's, to be honest. Um, But, yeah, no, it was great making those connections. And, you know, we handed out a whole pile of stuff for the podcast, you know, try to make connections with people, maybe we'll get some guests down the line as a result of Ooh. that, and again, that's another reason to go to these events, you know, network a little bit, uh, but also you go to it just because you enjoy the medium so much, so yeah, that's, mm-hmm. if you're interested in going to a comic convention that is very much a comic convention, Thought Bubble for me is is probably top of the pile, so keep it in mind for yeah. next year, it tends to always happen in November.
1: It uh, felt a wee bit like my job uh, to me, running around sort of networking, uh, we had our our coffee and heroes uh, bookmarks, you yeah. know, with all the information and stuff on them. That's upside down, but sure, uh, And the wrong way around because the camera. But uh, <laughs> yeah, running around with uh, with those, you know, giving them out, um, and uh, shout out to our our new buddy Daryl, mm-hmm. uh, who uh, who we uh, who I met uh, whenever we having a coffee, and then he we we had a few drinks at the MidCon party. Um, it was uh, it was uh, great to meet Al Kennedy from. The, uh, Tales to Astonish podcast and uh you never know we might do a little bit of uh something together in the future and um and I got a, a good I did get a good chat. I didn't get anything signed by Size barrier uh before we left. I, I had, had a longer day at work than I thought and I didn't have as much time to go through my collection to pull out things. But uh he did uh, he did point out that uh the words he used were, were with regard to uh to his
0: his his cancel too early Hellblazer run was that dc are still showing him a bit of ankle <laughs> well we'll be discussing a uh Cisbury title later on in the pod and one that's very much set in that supernatural realm as well so he's keeping he's keeping himself dipped in that supernatural world so maybe he's just waiting for uh, a certain a certain wizard shall we say to come back so um <laughs> but yeah it was also quite surreal i i was at the con i got recognized for the store twice which was interesting <laughs> So first of all, there was a regular listener, just a little shout out to Colin, who came up in the uh, came up to me on the, the the floor and sort of went, Are you Alan from Coffee News? I listen to your podcast all the time and watch your YouTube stuff. It's nice to know people actually do listen and, and, and watch the stuff. So that was pretty cool. And then there was another uh, guy who had come up to me saying, like, I just ordered stuff off your store It arrived really quickly. Very professional <laughs> service, very efficient. Uh, so I don't know, maybe down the line, it's the kind of thing we could take a table at, you know, because it would spread the word of, our store in, in the UK a bit more as opposed to just yeah. in Northern Ireland. You yeah. know, I, I always say if there's a con in Belfast, it's kind of pointless us being there because people mm-hmm. know about us. But if, if we're looking to spread the word slightly further afield, maybe down the line, thought bubbles, the kind of one we could, we could table that yeah, as well. We could,
1: so uh, table, table podcast, it would be, it would be tricky getting, getting, getting actual stuff over. Uh, but uh, I mean, yeah, absolutely, something we could, something we could think about. It was, it was actually really
0: lovely how many creators had heard of the podcast. Yeah, also true. Um, also true. That's you know, because I never stopped retweeting them <laughs> and tagging and, them uh, all. In it.
1: The uh, it was great to it was great to meet uh, Mark Bernardin mm-hmm. uh, as well, uh, Kevin Smith's podcasting partner on Fat Man Beyond and the uh, the podcaster behind black man Beyond, and also writer on Treadstone, Star Trek, uh, Castle Rock, and uh, recently released uh, graphic novel Adora and the Distance. um So it was lovely to. Yeah, it was interesting it was... watching
0: you two chat about Quantum Leap for what seemed like half an hour.
1: Uh, yeah, we had a
0: man. He's got
1: such a, an insightful view when it comes to TV shows as a writer. You know, any time that they mention a, a TV show or a movie uh, on the on the pod. You know Kevin Smith inevitably talks about how good it is and then cries, and Mark Bernardin goes "hmm, but here's how it could have gone <laughs> and, and comes up with a better story so <laughs> so that's that uh, that's why I was interested he's he's a couple of he's, he's a couple of hours ahead of me, but uh but yeah an absolute an absolute gentleman, an absolute gentleman as i as I sort of had expected
0: that's pretty much everybody we met were i I don't think anybody had a bad experience with any creator over the weekend or or anything again, I, I think it's just because they know if you come to a comic-con like this, you're not there because you've seen the movies or watched the TV shows. You're fans of, you know, the, the medium itself and of the writers and the artists. So yeah, said again, if, if you've even a passing interest in going to a proper comic-con, make the journey. It's uh, it's Mm. definitely worthwhile. So we'll, I would imagine it might become a yearly uh, tradition for us at this point.
1: I would say so. Might, might fly rather than boat though. Might fly. i fly think unless
0: we have to bring stuff with us i think that's exceptionally yeah, I, think so. I think the way so. to go <laughs> <laughs> so.
1: yeah but yeah and uh and yeah absolutely it was it was brilliantly arranged i mean and i know how much effort goes into arranging an event like that having having been involved in teams that that do arrange those sorts of events and it was no small feat uh and everybody everybody was great on the ground the red shirts the volunteers were really helpful um there didn't the seem to be any hitches. Were,
0: were they all killed at the end of it <laughs>
1: that's what they were called the red shirts
0: <laughs> i wouldn't want to take <laughs> that job i'm afraid if i have knowledge of that world i ain't taking that job <laughs> taking out uh, the back and maybe. snuffed once the convention's over right you've done your job <laughs> done uh,
1: and that's maybe another uh a reference to another book we'll be talking about later on uh, um but yeah absolutely phenomenal so congratulations to to the team behind thought bubble as well
0: yes indeed hats off 100% so so yeah that was our weekend last week and then yeah we're, we're back to the realms of reality this week so we were uh so back to the world of comics back to the world of the stores the stores been bubbling along nicely you know uh we've, we've, we've more cgc stuff has come in recently we've got more merch come in recently with christmas in mind we've done the top up and gift vouchers we've we're, we're well set for the the festive period that is is coming up and you know there's more and more stock going out every single day i've been absolutely backloading those uh, back issue bays for the last few weeks as well. Chris has been uploading loads of stuff to the website. So coffeeandheroes.com. You can uh, check out our web store there as well. Uh and yeah just we're we're just keeping busy and trucking on. You know the YouTube stuff continues to, to fly out on a weekly basis of I've got one or two ideas for maybe how to expand that down the line, and then Keith and I keep chatting about it a, a little bit as well. But we we may sooner rather than later get back to the in person recording rather than always relying on the wonderful tech, admittedly wonderful technology uh, that mm. has kept the pod going certainly in the last couple of years. But we do has, miss the face to face.
1: You do miss the face to face, and also the the sound quality whenever you're recording over the internet is a little is a little down on my end. Uh, all the gears at your house. Uh, and because I'm I'm coming through digitally, uh, I would like to I'd like to get us back to to a top quality
0: sound. But yeah, it's all good. I still sound fabulous, so it's it's okay. Well, I, mean, I mean, you get all these compliments you? for your dulcet tones already. <laughs> you know, we we don't need them to be any more dulcet. So uh, I need every advantage I can get here.
1: <laughs> well, it seems to seems to work on your son as well. He doesn't seem to to mind a, a you know a smooth tone.
0: No, not at all. Not at all. Mm-hmm. Likes being sung to as well, which I is a grave I've. a a grave (laughs) i've dug for myself
1: can't wait to can't wait to hear that how's your reading going
0: Uh, my reading's not in too bad a shape it's i must admit i took a couple things away to the thought bubble and i read precisely 20 pages but in general we're getting back on track i mean it's between the two of us the last three four months whether it's you know new additions to the family or heavy workloads or you know, whatever, we'd sort of fallen behind here and there, and here and there. But in general, the reading's been caught up. I mean, th- this new format, I think, has helped. Uh, we 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 struggled to get caught up for a long time. We felt a little bit of pressure about that. Uh, but we never wanted to just like skip everything and just like come to the most uh, most recent time so we come up with this idea allowing us to review the previous month just passed on all the titles that came out there so we're recording this you know towards the end of november but we're covering all of october so that's helped as well but yeah i'm, I'm down to about half less than half a short box uh and that's before new releases come next week so you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. hopefully you can get back yeah. on a better track what about yourself
1: yeah, I am doing better than I have been in a long time. Uh, I've sort of been consistently about uh, about sort of a month behind, but uh, as of this week, I am less than two weeks behind now. In real terms, that means I have the auspicious number of around fifty-two issues uh, to read, oh, yeah, and that's I a number that means an awful lot to you and uh, and uh, other DC fanatics. Um, but I'm I'm really I'm really pushing through now, so. Uh, i think uh, a couple of a couple of really solid days of of reading and it won't feel like a job anymore um, i i did uh, i did put uh, so i'm on last week's pull list now i've picked up this week's uh, and i intend to get uh, to get a, a good uh, a good dent in those before uh, next week comes out i won't be in next week for uh until, until See, this probably... is what
0: puts you behind you know no know, but Some i'll get you're in Friday. Up two I'll get weeks in Friday. instead of one yeah oh. yeah <laughs> I know, I
1: know. Uh, what, what can you do? What can you do? Can you do? Um, I did pick up this morning a book that made me feel really old, which was the uh, the the Superman the death of Superman on thirtieth anniversary yeah. uh, special. I just went. Oh my god! I mean, I knew it was coming, but actually having it in my hand and realizing that, was that Superman was killed by Doomsday 30 years ago, uh, it was just happy Saturday edging comic reader. <laughs> was, Shouldn't uh, you be like... in
0: your slippers and in your comfy chair reading your reading your <laughs> yeah. stories?
1: Uh-huh. And I mean, part of that part of that is as well. You know, we've both been talking about about how much we read and how we're. I mean, we're both. We're both fanatics when it comes to comic books. We and there, it's such a good time to be a comic book fan. But I'm getting to the point that I just can't, I just can't read what I'm buying, you mm-hmm. know. And uh, and so I'm trying very hard to cut a few things out, you know, and really, really get the cream of of what I'm enjoying. But Jesus, Alan, as you said, the 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 fear of missing out is real. You know what? I, I took to my list last night for for mid December because obviously I don't want to cut anything. You know, within a month of it coming out, because the last thing I want to do is is let down my local uh, my local comic book shop store. Uh, but even then, I'm like, oh, I could, I could take that off, or could I? I could take that off, or could I? So I was going trying get trying to get down to like fifteen or twenty books a, month, a week. <laughs> That's a real struggle, man.
0: Yeah, twenty would be where I would uh, I would be a comfortable number. I think I could happily sit and enjoy sort of five six books at a time three times a week and that would pretty much cover that yeah. so yeah. whereas at the moment you're hitting 28, 29, 30 plus a graphic novel that came out that week plus maybe an omnibus has come out of something you've wanted to read for ages or something like that so yeah yeah, it it can be tricky but as you say the fear of missing out the fact that there are so many good creators out there releasing top quality Mm -hmm. stuff the fact that there's certain ongoings from the big two you always want to stick with Mm -hmm. you know your 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 amazing spidey yeah yeah, Mm -hmm. you, you, you gotta stick with those kind of stuff so but yeah no i i agree i mean going into the new year i'm i'm trying and it's funny when you say you're trying to limit yourself and then people are like, Well, how many are you trying to limit to? Well, about 20. what? Twenty a week.
1: <laughs> whenever I whenever I was out for 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 a few drinks with uh, with Declan the last time he was up and he goes, Well, how much do you and Alan read? And I was like, oh, probably sort of twenty-five or so books a week. <laughs> he was like, Dear God, do you guys have a problem.
0: <laughs> we very much do, we very much do, and uh we're gonna move from that problem and, and discuss it directly now and go through the October Books And I mean, yeah, I mean, you only have to look at our totals. I mean, we've we've broken it down into weeks, but, you know, we've, we've told it all up each for what we took for the month. And uh, in the month of October, I had one hundred and five individual comics. and that's not including graphic novels, omnibuses. You know, I know for a fact there were a couple of omnibuses out. Uh, we both picked up. Uh, yeah, and Vampire Omnibus Volume One and Volume Two, mm-hmm. which I have to say, Keith picked up completely set on scene just in my recommendation. So I really hope mm-hmm. he enjoys it. <laughs> uh i had an absolute come out that month which was doomsday clock hit the absolute format we had graphic novels come out that month uh so 105 issues which for me was broken down into 34 dc so roughly about a third of my pulls dc marvel was 23 titles so roughly about a quarter but then yeah and these sort of was leading the way with me with 48 in the month of october what about yourself numbers wise
1: um, I had eight less than you in October, a total of 97 books, so didn't quite break the ton. Um, 22, uh, so a quarter of those were DC. Uh, uh, 48 uh, were Marvel, so almost a half. And 27 were Andy, so again, uh, the, the, the good side of a quarter. Um, plus then, as you say, two, uh, two DC omnibus uh, editions of uh, the hard copies of, uh, of American Vampire Volume 1, Volume 2. Uh one image hardcover, which will be coming up in the picks, and I think also the Abrams books uh, June Volume Two Modib, uh, was out as well. So plenty going on, plenty going on. Yeah. Um, but interestingly, given those numbers, uh, I don't have a Marvel book in my picks for the month. Which, whenever you look at the, you know, whenever you look at the, the sort of those the numbers at that at that distance that we're we're getting. It seems to me overall that you know throughout the month, Marvel is Marvel's producing sort of high quality stuff consistently, but whenever, and 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 and, you know, Image or or, or the 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 independent stuff that we pick and choose from different companies, is definitely at that maybe higher level than either of the big two, mm-hmm. but whenever DC produces something good, it's really good.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a, a fair enough statement. I think part of it as well is that when when we when we do our picks of the week as well, sometimes, A, we don't want to just pick the same titles over and over. So we throw them down in the honourable mentions unless it's something really ridiculously stellar or standout, but also an issue that maybe is a jumping-on point. Because that that's the other thing we always want to do with these review shows. We always want to tell people about stuff maybe they may have missed, tell people about starting points. So what, what you'll find with a lot of our picks here, they're either number ones, or jumping on points. I mean, I know for a fact my four picks are all number ones and they're all independent books. So, you know, Marvel produce a lot of great quality, but it might just be, you know, number seven of this and number 15 of this and number 12 of this. And it's the same with DC, you know, throughout this month there was new Detective Comics, there was new Batman, there was new Flash, there was great stuff through those titles, but we'll very seldom pick those as picks of the week, if that makes sense. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. There, so there is that element to it as well. And yeah, I mean... <laughs> I I think yeah, there's just maybe there's just something, maybe there's just something more satisfying about an indie book because you're almost getting in in a title from the ground up. You know, with the DC or Marvel, it's pre-established worlds. It's maybe people having a new take on established characters, but it's still established characters. Whereas there's something really satisfying, like I'll be talking about it in a couple of the books I've picked. Some of the world building for such a short space of time in one issue is incredible, mm. and I think Damn. there's something special about that being on the ground floor almost.
1: Yeah, I think you're I think you're right. And I think, you know, we're whenever we whenever we talk and we're we're conglomerating a lot of companies, including Image, uh, you know, so we're, we're 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 picking and choosing the best of what they do as well, which which pushes the, the quality of the indie, uh, up the up the top. But I mean, with regard to October, do you want to chat a wee bit about some of the things that we didn't pick specifically, but that were fantastic nonetheless?
0: Yeah, I mean, I can certainly throw a couple of honourable mentions out there. I've just sort of thrown them out with maybe a wee sentence or two, but, you know, the October saw the end of Deadly Class. You know, I, anybody who listens to this is probably bored listening to me talk about it, but it ended with issue 56, you know, last issue ever, and 100% nailed the landing. But again, I don't want to talk about that because I can't go into spoilers or specifics, so a review becomes well, difficult. Uh, um, yeah,
1: I mean, another book that... That came to an end in uh, in October. That uh, we're not going to talk about because I think we might maybe consider a book club on it. Mm-hmm. Was Kieran Gillen and Dan Moore's Once and Future, which came to a fantastic end with number thirty. Uh, I mean, we've I've mentioned this these last ten issues uh, nearly consistently, and it has been such a, such a great book. I, <laughs> I spoke to quick Kieran Gillen a wee bit about it at Thought Bubble, mm-hmm. and he told me that Bridget is very much based on his Irish granny.
0: His Irish granny sounds like she'd be great to go out for a drink with.
1: <laughs> but uh, Yeah, a great, uh, a great book. There is a slight hint that his time with that character or those characters may not be over. He wouldn't uh, do
0: that, would he? He wouldn't well, do that as the Die Hard oh, yeah, cover hit this week and laid yeah, the seeds for more. Absolutely, so that was a awesome future. A Batman the Night was another series ended this month, ended with issue 10. You know, I thought it was a real fitting end for sort of Chips and Carmine DJ Domenico's exploration of how Batman begins. You know, I, I in our little group chat even Keith said, like, this is what they should do with uh the DC universe, like the live action stuff. Just do this movie, but with like Pattinson in the role and set it before the Batman, boom, done. Yeah, oh absolutely.
1: It was that that series, that ten issues were great. I was so tickled whenever Ghostmaker, uh you know, a pre-Ghostmaker character because he had introduced this character, and I thought, oh, that would given what's happening in you know the current Batman run, it would be you know that's such a good fit if that's Ghostmaker. But surely they're not be. Oh no, it was. So that was great. Uh, that final issue was phenomenal. Uh, and yeah, absolutely. I think they. Should, I think uh, DC, you should just James Gunn should just take it and uh, take it and make it uh, link it to link it to the, the Batman, link it to the Joker, and just wipe the slate clean move move forward.
0: That yeah, I mean, weird. also linked to The Batman. You know, Riddler year one, number one, came out in October. That was a really intriguing first issue, I thought, written by Paul Dano, who, of course, played the Riddler in the movie. Uh, Steban Subic is the artist on that. And I thought it was a really cool first issue. It, it does toe a slightly uncomfortable line where it's talking about a villain pre-become becoming a full villain where maybe you feel a bit too much sympathy for them you know almost like uh-huh. their actions are just like they were pushed to their actions but I think it toes that line quite nicely and uh, I think it's still earning on the side of okay bad stuff happened to you but that doesn't justify this so to speak but really good first issue and you know it was nice it's nice to see the Batman explored a bit more the movie itself without having to do live action uh, stuff yeah. and the, the
1: writer on that was the guy who played the yeah brother. Paul I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah Paul Dino um, I mean swinging back towards uh indie and, and image, uh we have that Texas Blood's red queen killer story arc, uh, which is bringing uh, an already amazing title to to new heights, I think. Uh, I think we should just was...
0: start of that Texas Blood Appreciation podcast. <laughs> that's
1: why that's why I didn't. I mean, it would have been an easy pick. It would have been an easy <laughs> pick, uh, because it is so good. I mean that that it was at issue seventeen that uh was just very, very visceral, yeah. Uh, and uh, and that, but it's 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 very, very, very good. Love Jim Bob, love moving about Jim Bob's life uh, in Ambrose County. And uh I, got, uh, I got a little insight from uh, Jacob Phillips about uh, what's coming uh, what's coming next for that Texas blood, but uh, I was told in confidence, so I'll I'd, I'd say nothing.
0: Mm, intriguing intriguing Ooh. well i mean speaking of title of the year contenders is that texas blood has been pretty much since it uh, started with number one uh do a power bomb five came out this month as well you know i'm bored saying it at this point but it is up there with uh for me for title of the year you know essential stuff from daniel warren johnson that's going to be a seven issue series so it's hurtling towards its conclusion as well i think uh, i'll uh, i think i'll pick that one up
1: and trade you speak so so highly about it um not to, not to leave Marvel out in the code, We uh, wee bit of Marvel love, um, Captain America Sentinel of Liberty by uh, Kelly and Lansing, uh, which I know you're on as well, right? Absolutely, yeah. Was it issue um, five was October?
0: Yep, yeah, that yeah absolutely. That was quite the heartbreaking last page.
1: <laughs> oh, yes, and it, it's up there with, I think, the noir fields of Briebecker's run on Cap, but with a little more superheroic zing and, and conspiratorial edge really uh, really getting back into Captain America's past and very much involving uh, Bucky the Wonder Soldier. Uh, so uh, really enjoying that, really enjoying that.
0: Yeah, I mean it's part of a twofer of, of cap titles and mm-hmm. Symbol of Truth's really, really good as well. You know, it's it obviously focuses more on the Sam Wilson side of Captain America, but you know, the two make a good make a good team. But yeah, I do think that Sendle of Liberty is maybe just that step above it. And it has had that noir spyish feel ever since issue one, as you say, very bakerian. Uh-huh. if that is a term. If not, I would like to coin it right now. <laughs> A uh, bunch of number ones hit as well and I thought, you know, hit with a hit with a bit of pace. You had Gotham City year one number one, which was uh, an interesting sort of noirish look into the the past of Gotham from Tom Keenan and Phil Hester. Going to be a six issue miniseries that one. There was an uh, undeniably trashy I, I will hold my hand up and say it. Undeniably trashy, but fun monster horror first issue from one of my favourite cover artists Shannon Meyer, managed to achieve the impossible and get me to sub on to a Dynamite title. Which uh, uh-huh. I know they've been trying to do for you the last few months. Yeah, they have on and off. Yeah, yeah. They've,
1: they've got me onto one for sure. Uh, with uh, with gargoyles, uh, but and I did pick up the first issue of Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle, just because uh, Tarzan uh, was a was a childhood hero. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, what was
0: that last book you were talking about? Uh, Siren's Gate.
1: Siren's Gate. Yeah, so um, it's a
0: brand new number one. It's uh, it it de- delves into sort of like werewolves and vampire myths but is undeniably trashy and, you know, really mm. hot-looking lead character. And, yeah, it, it's like a trashy late-night movie, but I got it initially just for the art because Shannon Meyer has been doing covers for the last maybe four or five years, predominantly the Marvel titles. You know, his style is is very, very good. Yeah. Uh, he started off actually on the uh, Krakoan-era X titles, when Hickman first came through and did a range of them. They were class. So it was his uh debut as writer and artist on that. So it's it, again, it's non challenging, but it's undeniably fun.
1: Cool. Did you pick up um the first issue of Hitomi from Image? I did.
0: Yes. Um, I did. Samurai HSTAC isn't
1: it? H.S. Tack and Isabella Mazante. So it's a it's like a feudal area of Japan. There's a, a drifter who has no real prospects and she begins training under Yusuki, who is a like a Formerly famous disgraced warrior, as she tr- struggles to find her her place in her society, which is very discriminatory and violent. So it's it's kind of Kurosawa uh, meets Tarantino, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and the first issue was was just lovely. feels feels very much like a. As I say, like a traditional samurai film taken from a, a slightly different angle. There's a there's a feeling of scope about it and everything else. But I re- really enjoyed the first issue. I really enjoyed the first issue right up my right up my street there. And I think you can probably still still grab it. Um highly recommend it.
0: Right up your samurai alley, if you will. And yes, then just indeed. one last honorable mention, just from me, which was uh, I'm pretty sure you didn't. I'm looking at this now and I'm thinking, did Keith pick this as one of his four? But I don't think you did. You can correct me if I'm wrong. But uh, Junkyard Joe?
1: No, no, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. Number thoroughly one, enjoyed yeah, it so in, the, in the world of Geiger.
0: Yeah, an expansion of that world, you know, and it's from the same creative team as well. So Jeff John's writing, Gary Frank on art, you know, War Set, you know just a really really excellent t- i mean there's something there's something really premium feeling i think about gary frank's art it's so detailed mm. it's so intense he uh he especially is able to depict the horrors of war really really well i mean there's one specific scene in it where a, a character's talking and then just a bullet rips through their cheek yeah
1: yeah it was oh, it was you almost just, you feel it it was almost full metal jacket meets Terminator-ish sort of uh, yeah, totally something great. along those lines it was, uh, but yeah it was a really really good book Uh I say Vietnam, that real visceral you know feel and then yeah really interesting story you know uh, the the a, a vet a, a man who will be a vet saved by this robot soldier and uh, and then you know he seems to be creating a comic book about him by the end but clearly I think Jar Joe will be won't Be far behind, so that, that was a really, really interesting and beautiful looking book. Uh, and speaking of beautiful looking books, uh, can't uh, go past uh, Spider Man number one by uh, Dan Slot and Mark Bagley, uh, celebrating the 60th anniversary of the web slinger. Um, totally no joke, as two of the most legendary spider creators are working together on Spidey for the first time, so you know it's going to be, uh, you know, it's going to be a good one. Uh, it links into the Spider Verse stuff. Morlin is back, um, but not in the way you think. Uh and uh yeah, yeah, really, really good story. Um and loads of loads of plot threads for the future uh in that one. Uh and yeah, pleasure to look at because Mark Bagley, Spider Man.
0: <laughs> some things just go together. So yeah, so those are just some honourable mentions for that month, as I say. Lots of quality there. Some nearly made my, my final picks, but uh my top four, I I, I had the slightly Not cheat with the format, but massage the format a little bit, because normally what we used to do was always pick our favourite titles of each week, but the month of October, the 5th of October was ridiculously heavy-loaded. Ridiculously.
1: May I I stop you? Uh, you Just before we we go into our picks, uh, was a question for you. Uh, Obviously, Walking Dead Deluxe continues Mm -hmm. apace and is absolutely fabulous. Uh, There was a particular issue that came out in the month of October that you had read before as part of Walking Dead, but I was wondering what your thoughts on it as a new father. Since oh, that was the last one of the hardest things I've ever
0: had to read. Uh, I don't know. I mean, do you go into spoilers at this point for a book that's been out for 15 years? Uh, yeah, I mean, so there's. So fl- flick forward two minutes if you don't want to know spoilers for The Walking Dead Deluxe. I believe it was issue 48. It was the end of a story arc, and uh, the governor was attacking the prison. And Rick and his team were essentially outnumbered. They all got separated, they all got split, and they all went in different directions. So, of course, Laurie's recently had the baby, had Judith. uh Rick's trying to get out of there with Carl as well, and they're running away. And then suddenly, a bullet rips through Laurie, and Laurie is carrying Judith, and Laurie falls forward onto the baby. Now, it basically kills Laurie and the baby. And I'd been slightly dreading this issue for a while, because yeah, as a as a new dad, you know, it was uh it does hit you that little bit more. Whereas I think in the past, you know, you just sort of think like, oh, it's a plot device or it's you know, it's it's whatever. But this the the real horror I mean the act itself is horrific enough, but the rereading of it, and I'll be curious if you agree with me. In a way, the most horrific thing in that entire scene is how little Rick feels and just keeps running because his survival instincts kick in. He knows like he's now conditioned in this world of what the walking dead is. That if someone's shot and they're dead, there's no point dwelling on it or going back for them. They're dead. And Carl is standing there and he tears in his eyes can basically see his mum has been shot and killed and his baby sister is essentially dead as well. And he wants to go back and, and Rick just matter of fact. He's like, Nope, we need to go, I, go
1: I I would look at I would look at Rick's actions there a different way. Uh, Rick's a police officer mm. uh and he he knows the crack and I think he saw what had happened and he immediately went into triage mode, which was there's nothing I can do there. I need to save my son.
0: Yeah, no no don't get me uh, wrong, it's completely survivalist without a yeah, doubt. Yeah, but yeah. but there still has to be that ounce of humanity in there that's like mm-hmm. that's my child. That that's mm-hmm. my wife.
1: But look at look at what's coming. Look at you well, look at what's coming down the road for Rick as a as a as a as a direct result of that oh uh, big time is... but,
0: but it, it just shows how heinous an act it is for yeah. what happens that even the governor's own people turn on him and yeah. essentially take him out and yeah, I've been slightly dreading that issue. I have to say thanks for bringing up those horrible feelings.
1: Uh, <laughs> but that, that wasn't my wasn't my
0: wasn't my intent at but all. But just suffice to uh, say it was every bit as impactful and visceral as I thought it would be.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's just cuz we 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 talked about it previously. <laughs> uh I thought it might be I thought it might be an interesting point. Anyway. anyway. Um, yeah, lots of lots of fantastic stuff in October. So uh we've already been talking for god nearly an hour uh, so shall we uh shall we get into yeah some we'll
0: jump in we'll jump in as i say i've slightly cheated because i haven't picked one from each week uh we've just basically done a blanket best of october and picked four titles each to to, to discuss and review so
1: and there's a reason for that because whenever <laughs> we whenever we go by the week uh you know you sometimes struggle as you say with the likes of the fifth of october uh, being such a strong week, you know there might be two or three issues there that are stronger than all the issues from a yeah. from the next week. It's so better in the
0: past, yeah.
1: yeah, by taking that that week to week limit off, we're allowing
0: the uh, the good stuff to float to the top very much so and that's very lucky we did this month because three of my titles are from the 5th of october (laughs) so do you want to go first yeah i mean it's it's an indie clean sweep for me for the month of october as well obviously we discussed some honorable mentions there some marvels in dc but it's all indie all the way for me in october and kicking things off is kaya number one which is written and drawn by wes craig and you know this is this had been high in my anticipated list for a long time. Again, we we always chat in the store. We chat in the podcast, follow creators, not characters. And Wes Craig, of course, you know, artist and co-creator of Deadly Class. So straight away, I know I'd be on it. And then Image have been releasing this year. This uh, It's a 12-issue anthology series called Image 30. That's celebrating the 30th anniversary of Image. And they've been showcasing upcoming titles and little snippets. So Kaio's first... Uh, first given to the public there, then then we were actually lucky enough as a store to receive the Aishkan, so the little small preview edition directly from Wes himself, because we're very vocal on Twitter on supporting his work, on what big fans we are, you know, I've had commissions done by him, I've had, you know, original art pages I've bought off of him, I recommend it in the store all the time, and... Then, of course, we got the interview as as well and thoroughly great down-the-earth guy. Nice 90-minute conversation that I managed to keep a lid, I think, on my fanboyism. so But, <laughs> I mean, all of this built together and I thought this has to be like the greatest comic of all time to live up to my expectations. But, you know, I, I thought it did live up to expectations. I, I thought it was a really, really great first issue. I mean, we we always try and think of ways in the store to give people like uh, a little snippet of what something's about so i pitch this to people as bone meets lord of the rings meets mad max you know it's it's got that steampunk vibe but it's got that journey vibe but it's got a good sense of humor to it but it's got the sibling rivalry nature to it there's there's just tons of little snippets from those three titles i think drip feed their way in and are certainly big influences on the title and i mean it's probably unsurprising for me anyway but the first thing i thought that grabs you is the art you know, it's hardly surprising given, you know, that's been mostly Wes Craig's career until now, although he did do um, Gravedigger's Digger's Union a few years back as writer. But but yeah, this world in, in Kai, it's simultaneously vibrant and colourful, yet it's dangerous and not to be trusted. It feels lived in, it feels rough and ready, a little bit industrial, but not without hope for sort of for life as we know it. You know the characters are expressive. The panel layouts are different and exciting. They change almost from page to page. Uh, I always like to go back to this one example of a splash page where there's a little detail in the corner of something a character's doing that you're not really drawn to, but the details there, you know, it's worth taking your time just to pour over the details of the pages. So, but story-wise, for for Kaya, so it it starts off with our you know title character Kaya and a younger boy Jin wandering through the desert. Towards what they hope is going to be uh, a friendly trading town, you know. Her
1: brother, right? He's yeah, Jin's her younger brother. Yeah. Well, this
0: is it. You know, we we learned that Jin was once a prince, uh, in the town of Kahaka, but something terrible happened there, and it is heavily intimated that Kaya and Jin are the last survivors. And and although they may be the last survivors, and they may even be family, that doesn't mean that they have to get on. You know. So yeah, I mean, Wes's writing here is really, 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 really direct and to the point. You know, he wastes no time setting the tone between the sibling protagonists, you know, hungry and tired. They squabble in a way that's instantly recognizable that anyone who's ever shared a room with a sibling, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it, it gets you on the character side almost instantly, I think, because these are feelings we recognize in a world that maybe we don't recognize, you know, but we can easily sympathize with the characters. You know, Kai is that strong willed older sister, you know, forced into a journey to deliver, you know, her once prince brother of course he's the one with the hint of that destiny kaya couldn't possibly mm-hmm. have it you know Jin's self, slightly self-entitled you know he must adapt to no longer being a prince after the destruction of the village um but yeah during their their trek towards this village you know Jin collapses from dehydration exhaustion starvation you name it and it's not long before they find themselves ambushed by a clan of lizard people However, not all lizard people are bad, and in fact, Kaya may just have a previous relationship with one who has the ear of all the others. You know, I just I thought it was a fantastic first issue. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of story beats that feel familiar, which is always good because you know it's it's nice to read something familiar and nostalgic. But a few mm. things are turned in their heads. I mean, instead of a traditional damsel in distress and the prince coming to save her, it's the prince who's in distress and the strong older sister who is the protector. You know, there's, there's room for magic in this world, for advanced technology, for a whole range of races and species. I actually think it seems very heavily influenced as well by manga, uh, but yet yeah, it's yeah. wholly at home in the world of traditional comics as well. So, um, yeah, just first issue started at a great pace, you know, has me invested, but also thrown up loads of threads already. You know, who's the green monk? You know, what happened to their village? Why was Jin royalty but Kaya wasn't? You know, did Kaya reject that way of life to forge her own path? You know, I. I can recommend where did,
1: it. Where did Kaya get her cybernetic arm?
0: Well, that's it. I, I got this far and I didn't even mention yeah. said cybernetic arm, which is one of the coolest reveals in the whole issue <laughs> as well. <laughs> yeah. Um I mean we we jumped in this idea in store recently where we wanted to, you know, offer order big on independent number ones for cari- or for creators whose work we greatly admire, offer them at a reduced price and hopefully people will, you know, give these titles a chance. We of course did it with Old Dog for for Declan Shelby. We've done it with Kaya as well with number one. So again, we've still a couple of number ones in store. There's another title later we'll be discussing. We did it for as well. So, but to be honest, even if this was sold at full price, it would have been a steal. I thought it was just fantastic first issue. Everything I wanted it to be, and uh, spoiler issue two is just as good. So
1: I haven't read it yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Um, yeah, I mean it's um. As you say, there's enough familiarity, and I think it's I think it's important in a first issue to have a wee bit of familiarity, something you can get your hooks into. Absolutely, you need to fill to in the some blanks yourself based yeah. on previous yeah.
0: stuff you've experienced. Yeah, um, and
1: I do like the the point that he is the uh, he is the the character with destiny, and she's his older sister, caretaker, warrior, protector. So she's kind of the she's kind of the the woman behind the guy, you know, sort of thing. Yeah, uh, she's not the she's not necessarily the star of her own story if you know what i mean yeah uh while she's she's clearly the 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 main protagonist it's a it's a it's cool cool way of doing things uh yeah really enjoyed it really enjoyed the the bold the bold art uh everything just worked together great world um i'm interested to find out more about that world and how it got the way it is and uh and all of that sort
0: of stuff so yeah very very cool excellent so yeah my first pick from october kaya number one what about yourself what are you leading the way with Uh, i will lead the way
1: with uh lazarus number seven by uh, greg rucka and michael lark so not a first issue in fact it is uh, in some ways the last issue lazarus rising so lazarus has been about for what uh over 10 10,
0: years now 10 years plus Uh, yeah it's been
1: early 2010s yep um and it's, it's a fantastic story about a, a dystopian world where uh, corporations in the form of families uh, have divided up the world between them following ecological disasters and an economic collapse. Uh, and uh, we have, um, you know, members of family, a society is divided into in members of family who are the elite, serfs who are those sort of mid-management level, and then waste who is the rest of us, um, you know, the, the workers, the the working class, the you know, and it all it all runs from the from the family uh, downhill, as it were. Uh, each of those families, uh, as a result of the Macau Accords, has uh, rather than than sort of go to all out war, has a Lazarus. Now, Lazarus is the absolute uh, epitome of all of the biological, technological achievements, uh, chemical achievements of uh, of each of those families uh, pushed into put into one person or one entity, and that that Lazarus is the commander of, uh, of the, the, uh, each family's armies and, you know, they can meet in one-on-one combat for things to be decided. It's, it's massively political. Uh, it's massively dystopian. And, and, uh, as I say, the word building is, is, is amazing. There were 30 something issues of the original Lazarus series. Then we had Lazarus X plus 66. We had, um, we had uh, some source books, uh, really detailed stuff about each of the families. Um, and, uh, and then more recently, we changed format to Lazarus Risen, which are big, uh, soft cover trade paperback, 64 page. And they were released quarterly, or at least they were supposed to be released quarterly, uh, allowing Greg Rucka and Michael Lark to, to get on board. Now, Michael Lark's art is fantastic. We remember him from, from Daredevil and a variety of other, you know, sort of mainstream uh, big two titles. But what an artist with regard to the realism of what he does—that includes even you know, the military vehicles that are a, a huge part of this and the weapons and such, the technology—but uh, things got a little off track, I guess, uh, with with Lazarus uh, and the you know the the timing. So this final issue of Lazarus Rising uh, has been a year in the making, and to such a degree that the introductory page of text is absolutely mandatory even for those of us who have been on uh, lazarus since start so it really just sort of brings us up to date on what's happened uh in La- what happens in lazarus risen number six um the the oversized format was an absolute must for this issue which delivers a titanic conclusion uh that really merited the the format um for for readers that are totally invested in this drama it, the issue itself sort of is, has an A and B story, or is, is sort of split, sort of functionally speaking, in two halves, beginning with a kind of a, a living room drama in which sort of the, the dialogue reveals the centuries-old origins of the series' core conflicts, totally, like, total tension with these former friends, former colleagues, now bitter bitter enemies over, over decades, and... Um, you know, re- revealing, you know how how things came to be between people that led to effectively sort of corporate wars. Um, really fantastic stuff, but it offers sort of little action beyond sort of dialogue. Fantastic dialogue, cutting words and and uh, and very specific looks. But Michael Lark, you know, you know where where Greg Rucca takes that dialogue and makes it makes it phenomenal and 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 meaningful. Michael Lark delivers those glances, you know, the eyes and the eyebrows that are so important and and making things so tense and and making, I guess, an exchange like that across so many pages gripping. Um, And then the other half is that fast paced action, uh, brilliantly, brilliantly choreographed, uh, you know, a confrontation leading to consequences. How these threads have been written over more than 10 years of comics weave together in a spectacular series of revelations and reversals that just make real good use of serialized storytelling and potential. So what we have is a a finale of sorts as this Lazarus Lazarus Risen format comes to an end and at the very end I was so pleased to see a page saying forever and Eve will return. Uh, So it's not the end, uh, we have a final act, which is going to be going back to single issue format uh, of Lazarus. I don't know if they're going to pick a new title and go for number one, or if they're going to pick up the number of Lazarus. That would seem silly given how much has been done in, in Lazarus Resonant X plus sixty six. But uh, yeah, so the, there's going to be a wee break now, uh, and then they're going back to uh, they're going back to finish the story. So uh, more to come, more to come.
0: Yeah, I mean, Lazarus is a is a weird one for me because I read it years ago and then I dropped off it for whatever reason, I can't remember why, but uh, obviously then you'd spoken about it so highly, you were good enough to lend me your ridiculously hard to find out of print hardcovers. Because I went to then get them myself after I sat and read them. So I, I've just been reading them in that format. So pretty much all of Lazarus Risen, I haven't read any of it. Uh, but I'm as far as the, the three hardcover books. So I'm sure when a, a hardcover uh, edition of Lazarus Risen drops, uh, I'm sure you'll add it to your collection and then lend it straight to me.
1: Oh, I very much I very much will. I'm, I'm, I mean, I have to thank Stuart, our mutual friend, uh, for, for getting me on to Lazarus in the first place. Lent me all his single issues. And then I started picking them up. Um, so then, I, that that's what made me get the hardcovers. I mean, for the for the role playing aficionados among us, um, there is also a a Lazarus um, role playing uh, book, uh, World of Lazarus. I can't remember what uh, what system it's attached to. I think it's a Green Ronin Publishing system. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't quite remember what the core system is, but there's a World of Lazarus book, and all of these Lazarus Lazarus Risen. Uh, trade paperback you know soft cover formats mm-hmm. had uh, had game information in the back of them as well which was kind of cool characters and technology and different bits and pieces so yeah. very very cool well worth the money uh and and i mean word building is something that's so important to us as readers you and i uh, and i don't think it has done better anywhere else in the comic world currently than in uh, the lazarus books
0: yeah as i say they're out of print those hardcovers because yeah usually anytime i read something big and long like that that i really enjoy i sort of think i should get those for my own collection uh the trades are easy enough to come by if uh, lazarus is a title you'd like to get into it's just those nice deluxe hardcovers are are tricky to get your hands up
1: mm, that's disappointing i wonder you know will they be releasing any more in that format will they re-release them whenever the next one comes out. It does or?
0: happen. It does happen. They do they do reissues when like a new volume comes out. So recently they did uh reissues for the Deadly Class hardcovers because the fourth one gets released in February. So uh they obviously want to make sure people can get their hands on those to then tempt them into buying the new edition as well. So uh yeah. you never know. Yeah. I'll I'll keep an out. I'll keep an out. So yeah. Pick number two for yourself, good sir. Pick number two for myself, I think, is something that you're not reading. Oh Do tell. You should be, though, because it's bloody class. Uh, This is a title called Dark Ride. Uh, So Mm. it's a brand new number one. It's written by Joshua Williamson and art by Andre Bressan. And similar to Deadly Class, you know, another title I'll always extol the virtues of, and you're probably bored hearing about it, is Joshua Williamson's Neil Bider. It's uh, a serial killer story. It is around... Just over 40 issues in total after you factor in Neil Bider returns and it's one of the best things to happen in horror comics in the last just in comics to be honest, not just horror, but the horror is very real in it, but uh in comics in general last 10 15 years. So you know I've always enjoyed Joshua Williamson's work at DC, you know, the flash dark crisis amongst others, but for me indie work indie is where he shines brightest. you know, he has a dark sensibility and and as he's shown with Neil Bider, really enjoys working within the realm of horror so that leads us to Dark Ride which I would just sum up as horror meets Disneyland Uh, and what value this number one is as well because it's an oversized issue filled to the brim with content and the word you just said for Lazarus world building so with Dark Ride Williamson he's reunited with uh, his Birthright collaborator Andre Bressan so Birthright was another great title he did was all about a, a son who disappeared and then he comes back two years later but suddenly he's 30 years older and he's like the savior of this other dimension and this huge big warrior um so yeah he worked on that with andre brisson and they're back together on this title as well and with this issue one you know that creative relationship hits the ground running so there's even a little editorial at the back of it you know williamson says dark ride is a love letter to theme parks and he understands their cultural significance and he mixes that with an even bigger love for haunted houses. You know, what if what if the amusement park was one big haunted house, more interested in delivering scares than thrills? But before we even get to the theme park and that element of it, there's this amazing unsettling opening scene. It's sort of in these sort of dark dark black and white sort of hammer house type hues and colouring as a man murders his wife in the heat of the moment after he loses his job. You know, he. Th- this man has this epic vision for a theme park where people are scared instead of having fun, a vision that absolutely no one else shares. Uh, but he takes her out to the desert to bury her, but he starts to hear some voices beyond the grave that help him, or the promise to help him achieve his dreams. So cut to modern day and a wonderful page turn from that darkness into this, Pure colour, double-page spread showcasing Devil's Land in all its splendour. Rides and attractions such as Murder Mountain and Zombie Zone set the template for the kind of attractions to expect. So we're introduced then to our point of view character, that's Owen. He's a, a super fan who loves everything about horror movies, everything about the park, and he's just got a job there. You know, he has grand designs of opening up his own ride within the park, but it's, you know, starting from the bottom pretty much as an usher. So, his eyes are full of enthusiasm as, as he likes to think he sees what is so special about the park, even though a lot of people, certainly in the modern world, you know, it's harder and harder to scare people. You know, real life is that scary at the moment. You know, how do you you know, attract people to a park to scare them artificially? Um, but some of those jaded people include the son and daughter of the founder of the park, who are, you know, these two characters are a mess. You know, you've got the loyal son who's never done anything but work in the park, but just has no clue what he's doing. And then you have the daughter who, you know, <laughs> for lack of a better term, she's a sex tape pushing social media celebrity wannabe who thinks she brings some twisted form of star power to the park. You know, the, the art by Bressan is awesome. You know, it, it's it's your kind of art, Keith. It's all clean lines, all clean lines and loads Beautiful. of detail. You know, the, as I say, the flashback scenes are all drenched in hammer horror black and white, but the modern day, you know, the park itself feels like a living, breathing, bright entity. You know, the characters are expressive and varied. There's distinct personality details dripping off everything from their, their clothes to their body language. But when it needs to be gory, most importantly for a horror book, over the top and frightening, you know, Bressan pulls that off with distinct ease as well. I mean, that... That aforementioned double-page splash as well also deserves another mention as it's dripping in details about the park and fun Easter eggs. You know we're we're not quite a hundred percent sure that Owen will remain one of our main characters as something wicked comes his way towards the end of the first issue. <laughs> he, he's still there, but he might not be all there. Uh but there's so many interesting threads set up. That's in uh,
1: that's interesting. Uh, an interesting turn of phrase there,
0: old yeah yeah uh-huh. it's something right. okay okay uh, i was, all I was right. quite happy with that um but yeah there's loads of interesting threads set up in this issue beyond his involvement you know how is the creator of the park sanity these days you know he's locked up in this ivory tower and no one's seen him for years you know who was it he made a deal with in the desert you know what part will the warring siblings have to play in all this moving forward there's these creepy mascots that go all around the park that seem to have a lot of influence you know who's underneath those masks most importantly, how long will Theo's amusement park mysteries YouTube channel last? And what will he discover? What new ride will rejuvenate the park's value and who will make it out of this alive? You know, I thought this was an absolutely brilliant first issue from a creative team working at the very top of their game. And uh similar to Kaya as well, issue two's already out and the momentum continues. You may hear more about that in, in our next one. But yeah, dark ride number one, Joshua Williamson, Andre Bressan, top tier stuff.
1: Cool. I mean obviously i'm a big joshua williamson fan uh in love with his fantastic run uh mega run on the flash uh, and uh you know his guidance of the the dc universe uh more recently but uh yeah maybe i'll maybe i'll have a wee look at this one must have <coughs>
0: must have missed it yeah highly highly recommend as i say uh first issue it shouldn't be tricky to get i can i can throw you mine if you want to read it but yeah just it's it's like like there's even scenes in it of the guys you know who work in the park behind the scenes and it just reminds you of like all the people who work in like jurassic park and stuff like that like they're just there waiting for something to go wrong you know they they know this is not a smooth job they're just putting out fires all the time but there's also adult humor in it as well i mean he walks into um owen walks into like one of these rooms and there's someone going quick, we got another blue job happening in the Tunnel of Hate or something like that, you know. So oh, it's, dear. It's, it's It's got its dark humor as well as its dark horror. So, yeah, really good stuff. But, yeah, that was my second pick. What is your second pick? I'm swinging around to
1: IDW territory for Star Trek number one. Are you on it?
0: Uh, I'm not. I'm not a Star Trek guy. I, no. I no. know this is the end of our friendship. It's been a beautiful friendship. I've just been never been a Star Trek guy.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, well, this is coming at exactly the right time because I am a Star Trek guy. <laughs> I've always been a Star Trek guy and have been re-engaging that love recently uh, with a, a watch through um, The Next Generation. And I'm now on to Deep Space Nine. So I'm also uh, a very big fan of Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly. I've had a wee bit of a love in for them recently. Uh, Batman Beyond, Captain America... Uh, and so forth. So they're becoming, I think, major players with regard to uh, writing across the big two and others. Um, so having Lansing and Kelly on Star Trek, IDW's new flagship Star Trek book, is, uh, is a match made in heaven. So it's uh, it's started at 2378. And Benjamin Sisko has finally returned from the Bajoran wormhole. Omnipotent, but with every minute his godhood is failing. Sent by the prophets on a mission to the deepest parts of space. Aboard the USS Theseus, he witnesses the unthinkable. Someone is killing the gods, and only Cisco and his motley crew of Starfleet members from every era of Trek can stop them. Uh, Lansing and Colin, Lansing and Kelly did uh, Star Trek Year Five with the original crew, crew uh, and now they are taking on uh, IDW's brand new flagship Star Trek, ongoing uh, to take it where no one has gone before. <clears throat> what a fantastic book. I mean, since sort of the late eighties, early nineties, uh, sort of Trek has been sort of, a, a, I guess, in a very interesting place. The original Star Trek, you know, in the sixties was was cancelled, and then it was relaunched, you know, in eighty seven with a new era, and it reached the point where multiple shows were being developed and launched, and effectively, in some ways, created one of the first uh, shared universes, uh, because whenever you you take in. You know those those series, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, the movies, not to forget the books, the games, the other content that was also happening. So kind of a precursor of sorts to the current, you know, massive shared universes of shows and you know all of those those various creators bringing them to life. Uh, I think it was almost done very early on there with with Star Trek, but the problem was that I guess that wasn't the vision, and therefore limitations and contracts and all sorts of things such as not all the shows being on at the same time kept the three shows of the 80s and 90s next generation deep space nine and voyager from crossing over and anything other than the odd episode i mean there were there were characters that that jumped shows and flowed through the various shows such as chief o'brien uh you know uh was a character in the next generation and a background character in the next generation then became a main character in deep space nine or or Worf, who you know came into Deep Space Nine sort of halfway through, from the Next Generation. You there were themes or, <coughs> or various episodes that followed up on other show stories, but you never really got the that big name sort of interaction uh, between eras, you know, of going on adventure together until sort of now uh, with this. Um, so, IDW Publishing, you know, have they've returned to creating a full line of Star Trek comics. Uh, you know, outside of the various minis they've done, which have been fantastic with the Tiptons and whatnot, uh, but whenever, as I say, I saw that, that Lansing and Kelly were taking over uh, on this on this new flagship title, I was absolutely, I was absolutely over the moon. Just perfect timing. Uh, they obviously had huge plans, uh, you know, coming off the back of Star Trek Year Five uh, to bring crews and concepts from all areas together, and and here they go. The lead character in this is uh, Ben Sisko. Who was the commander of Deep Space Nine, um, and uh, eventually became Captain Cisco. And at the end of that series, uh, he was the he was the prophet, He was the, the emissary for the prophets, and eventually became an omnipotent being and uh, disappeared into the wormhole at the end of the at the end of the series. Now we often talk about as Star Trek fans whether Kirk or Picard were the best captain, but for me, either of them might have been the best, Picard. But Cisco is possibly the most interesting the most human captain you know as a as a as a a black single father uh you know a commander of a of a starship you know he's our star base rather than a starship he's you know he's dealing with a different set of problems he's dealing with the, the uh a post-conflict conflict bejor he's dealing with the, the aggressors the Cardassians and then
0: next thing he's dealing with you know what comes through the wormhole Did you say the Dominion. aggressors the Cardassians the Cardassians are, are they a really evil race? A really evil race. Yeah. It all makes sense. Okay.
1: Cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know he's dealing with the Dominion and uh, the Dominion War and all of that sort of sort of stuff. Uh, and uh, I it just, it, you know, just 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 really fighting his corner. So I mean, I think this is one of the one of the the best of the Commanded Officers of Star Trek. But with regard to the, you know, so it's great to see him front and center, but also all of these other characters that. That are appearing uh from various Milo's, including uh including Scotty, uh Tom Paris from Voyager, uh, we've got uh, Beverly Crusher, Picard is in there at one point, you know. So you're getting all these these crossovers. And I mean I can it's it's almost hard to believe how much Lansing and Kelly were able to, to jam into this first issue. We see Ben Sisko, the wormhole, you know, we see Deep Space Nine with with Jack, who is Cisco's son and hasn't seen him for many years, and Kira. And we see Ben's return and what comes of it. We see Sisko and Picard, the reveal of the Theseus, the ship that they're going to be travelling in and its history. Uh, you know, And the, the, the surprise reveal of Scotty uh, meeting the crew, as say Tom Paris and a few others are in there. A fantastic Cisco speech, which he really ex- excelled at in the series. Uh, some great character-building moments of new characters and old characters and a whole bevy of uh Crystalline entities, which are, uh, are uh, I guess, creatures from or entities from the uh, the the Next Generation series, and a, a slight glimpse at just the 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 titanic level of threat that uh, that that Cisco and his, his crew are going to have to prevent. All just in, in in one issue, and none of it, none of it felt rushed. None of it, you know, it all had had room to breathe. It was paced brilliantly. You know, nothing felt stuck on there. It was, it was. Just as as we said about, about Kaya, it was just just enough familiarity uh well, quite a lot of familiarity just to get you hooked, uh, and then the intrigue and uh that, that comes from that. Uh there's they they've put their, their 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 pieces on the table, but it's a brand new game uh and really looking forward to to what's coming. Um this this is this is textbook, how you do your first issue. Uh, and and just get it right, and uh, I just hope that it stays at this level. Uh, really looking forward to see how the uh, how the series is going. You know the 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 pair's love for for Trek is <coughs> is very clear, and the artist from uh, Ramon Rosanes sort of hits exactly the sweet spot for 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 adaptations. You know whenever you see adaptations of of known properties, you know especially from TV sometimes the, the images you know the, the characters can be just direct almost feel like photo drops or copies of photos of the characters well this is this is not that the characters are very much recognizable but there's enough there's enough space that you know they can they can look like the different faces that actors can pull you know and, and that sort of thing so it's uh so I think it's just hit the sweet, sweet spot there for the art so yeah absolutely loved this first issue I would say if I had an issue of the week from October. This might be it. Um, I praise. But uh, but then there was also a there was also a reckless book to contend with.
0: <laughs> Spoilers, jeez, <I> don't know. <laughs> Talking
1: about getting ahead of the game. Um, yeah, I mean, Alan, I know you're not a Trek guy. I think you could probably jump on this without being a Trek guy.
0: I think that's um, just part of it for me. I think that just Star Trek is like Doctor Who, and that they've been going on so long that I think it's hard to get into those fandoms now because there's so much there and I don't even have the time to watch this, watch and read the stuff I want to watch and read without jumping into such a dedicated and dense and deep, you know, mythology. So yeah. I think that's just what puts me off But It's not that I think it's like I've watched or read stuff in the past and thought it was bad or whatever it's just something that was just never my fandom so Mm, yeah no I'm
1: with you I'm with you I
0: totally understand but you never know I mean once you have a child you know part of it is like what do you want to watch son oh I want to watch Star Trek dad okay well there we go you never know yeah if if you have a few wee words and Alfie's here as he grows up you never know he might just say it to me (laughs) one day Good stuff.
1: Alright, sir, what about pick number three from yourself?
0: Well, you just said that that may be your pick for October for the whole month. Well, this might be my pick of the entire month because I had waited a long time for this issue and of course it came out on the 5th of October like the two titles just before it. But yeah, so this is Night of the Ghoul number one. So this is written by Scott Snyder and art by Francesco Francavilla. So this... This is an interesting title, as I said, I'd waited a long time for it because, first of all, and I'm talking four years ago, I remember Snyder and Frank Avia both teasing on Twitter, hashtag N-O-T-G, and they would say nothing more so, you were trying to work it out, and I always thought that I'd worked out that it was Night of the, but I thought it was Night of the Gargoyle, or it could have been Night of the Ghoul, or whatever, but anyway, it came out actually, when they finally released what it was, I was slightly disappointed because it was released as part of Scottober last year, Basically, what this was, was it was a month of October for Comixology, where Scott Snyder had written five exclusive books that were going to be released digital first. So, hence my slight disappointment. He, by the way, didn't come up with Scott Tober. That was Comicsology. he told me.
1: Oh, I'm glad to hear. Uh, yeah. Uh,
0: <laughs> but what was interesting about his plan was he, he spoke about this at the... Uh, He spoke about this at the panel we had as part of the Diamond Retail event, because obviously retailers are sitting there going, Scott, why why are you releasing these books on digital and not coming out in print till a year later? Do you hit comic stores? But his idea was to let people approach comics through a digital space at a lower cost to try and hook them in. He had name recognition. He had these short form titles that people could, if you had an Amazon Prime account, Comixology was free. So he was trying to sort of lure people in with these high quality titles then they would see what the comic medium was capable of and then maybe think oh i'll maybe nip to that comic store in town and see what they have so his idea was pure but i remember at the time being really pissed because i really wanted to read i'm not a digital guy so uh but yeah thankfully they're starting to see print. so we got we have demons in print not too long ago that was with uh greg capullo scott snyder again writing and now we've got Night of the Ghoul. I mean, this this was my most anticipated of all the titles originally released because it paired Snyder with his Batman Black Mirror collaborator, Francesco Francavilla to tell an old-fashioned Hollywood horror tale. A horror tale firmly entrenched in the golden era of Hollywood as well. I also seem to be really enjoying horror titles in October, fancy that. But uh, So Night of the Ghoul begins with the most wholesome of American traditions, the father-son road trip. However, this is no ordinary road trip. The dad, Mr. Inman, were introduced to and his son drive to a retirement home in the dead of night. Now, it's never a good sign to have to drive through a cemetery to get to an old folks' home, although it would certainly be <laughs> undeniably efficient, if you ask me. <laughs> but- wow! I thought it was great. But this (laughs) allows Frank Ave to stretch his horror creative muscles, you know, just draw iconic panel layouts after, you know, just eerie imagery and you know, you know, again going back to that hammer horror sort of type era. So the reason they're coming to this retirement home is they're looking for a mysterious patient and they're able to gain access to the home under the guise of presenting themselves as insurance agents. Mr. Inman it becomes clear is obsessed with an old Hollywood legend regarding a legendary director his never-to-be-seen-lost masterpiece, Night of the Ghoul, and the fact that both the director and all footage of the film were supposedly destroyed in a terrible studio fire decades ago. But Inman is convinced that this horribly scarred, on-his-last-legs old man that they've come to see on this fateful night is none other than that director, known as T.F. Merritt, and that he is also in possession of a damaged reel from the film that has somehow survived. You know, there's lots going on in this first issue below just the, the horror and the tension. You know, we've we've got explorations of Hollywood myths, you know, the the sort of the, the layer below the layer of Hollywood and the darkness that existed there. You've got a father who is so obsessed with this legend that his bond with his son is a breaking point and he doesn't even notice. You know, we have a son seeing his father essentially changing before his eyes. You know, he's he's having his perceptions challenged at all times, wondering whether his father is actually a good man. You know, we wonder what it was about this supposed cursed film that caused a legendary director to walk away from a successful career, literally at the peak of his powers, only to live out a reclusive life. You know, the writing is very much on point, but the art really does steal the show for me. Sorry, Declan. Uh, Even though the bulk of the story (laughs) comes... You know, the bulk of the story is a conversation between Inman and the unknown old man in the hospital bed. This sounds so uninteresting, but it's filled with dread and tension due to Frank Ovea's always excellent artwork and colours and expressive character work. But that doesn't mean he doesn't get to stretch his typical horror flex and show us excerpts from the movie itself as well. You know, the narrative switches at times. You know, you've got this scene in the hospital bed or in the hospital room but you've also got scenes from the movie which show a team of soldiers in World War I scouting an abandoned village it is there that we as readers will be introduced to the dreaded ghoul of the title you know the issue, it, it even becomes a race against time story because once Merritt admits that he is who Inman thinks he is, essentially a secret group will now send people to kill them all to keep these dreaded secrets buried you know but the upside of this well they're going to die anyway so Merritt's like ah, I may as well tell you the whole tale but, yeah, just a brilliant first issue of this and well worth the wait. It took a lot for me not to read this digitally when it first came out because I'm just, I'm not a digital reader. But good things definitely come to those who wait. Um, one of the issues of the year, definitely my favorite issue this month. One of the issues of the year. It's going to be another three issue series. They're oversized issues, the same way We Have Demons were. But unlike We Have Demons, which was oversized issues, half of which was uh, supplementary material, these are just full, thick issues fantastic stuff uh yeah now the goal number one great stuff
1: oh sounds sounds interesting sounds interesting again wasn't really on
0: my radar trying to keep trying to keep the old pull list thin so snyder and horror just to match me in heaven i mean even his best batman stuff was always horror based you know black mirror mm-hmm. court of Owls. his best stuff was to do with tension and darkness and shadows and horror um you know, even metal to a degree was about exploring sort of the horrific side of the DC universe, you know. So mm. I just think he works better when he's in horror and even better when he's away from the sort of constraints of the big two, so to speak. So, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, that was my third pick of October. What was your own?
1: Cool. Well, I suppose we've we've sort of teased it. Um, so we'll just go for... <laughs> teased it? Uh... You've
0: outright said it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> uh, uh, the fifth book of the best-selling Reckless series, Reckless, Follow Me Down, from... Crime Noir Masters, Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. Um, yeah, another original graphic novel starring a troublemaker for hire, Ethan Reckless. Um, takes place in the wake of the 1989 earthquake in, uh, in San Francisco. And uh, Ethan takes a trip to search for a missing woman, but almost immediately finds himself going down a path of darkness and murder. Um, I would say... Maybe the most intense of the reckless books so far, but an absolute, an absolute dream, an absolute hit. Um from the same guys that bring you pulp. My heroes have always been junkies, criminal, Fade out, killer be killed. Um as as with all of these books, a total must-have for Rebecca and Phillips fans. Um and obviously uh, Jacob Phillips on colours. Um this is, the fifth book is both a sequel and a companion to the previous volume, A Ghost in New, or The Ghost in New. Uh, the plots themselves are unrelated, but they run concurrently for the majority of both of the graphic novels, uh, with Ethan taking a case in San Francisco, while Anna stays in L.A., uh, and that was what was described in The Ghost in New. Ethan's case deals with a, a wife who's gone missing right after the massive earthquakes that hit the city, uh, but turns out to be a woman's quest for revenge. Um, Ethan switches very quickly from locating Rachel, the woman in question, to assisting her in ruthless killing of the men that abused her as a child. Um, The the quest sort of comes up short along with the, the budding connection between Ethan and Rachel and he knows Rachel will never returned to her old life and accepts that his uh his case is, is is more or less uh over and unsuccessful um and then i guess one thing that we talked about alan is that this volume extends further than any other of the volumes so far into the future reaching 2004 uh, before ethan reunites with rachel and puts uh puts the retribution to rest and the shift to the I suppose it's nearly the near present. Uh also reveals a key detail that alters the experience, I think, of reading both this volume and the previous, making it essential, I think, to read these back to back. It's it's a heartbreaking reveal, so uh plan reading accordingly. Um, <laughs> I mean the uh the story of Follow Me Down is straightforward mystery that morphs into a revenge tale and a love story. Um as always, Bru Baker knows exactly what he's doing. His scripting is totally engaging and uh and 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 rich, but doesn't try you know, it's not the, the 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 plot is very satisfying but not overly complex. And you know, there's and that's I think the way it should be with mysteries and neo-noir stories, because there is that tendency to add complexity upon complexity and moving parts and twists of twisting tropes yeah, and tropes and becomes too convoluted you know, exactly and and sometimes you know hides those core motives that that permeate these sort of dark noir crime stuff and Brubecker doesn't have that problem he leans into those tropes and focuses the creative, creative energy on the characters to ensure that the story is solid and doesn't feel uh, overly, overly engineered but I mean Brubecker's writing whenever he drops a line like what a human soul needs isn't always healthy oh my god <laughs> just uh, you know Get you right in the soul. <laughs> it, was, it was yeah I mean it was ah uh, it's it's something that we all know but to see it and to see it in words like that uh and uh, in relation to you know characters that we know is uh yeah that was that was nearly a physical thing um it's another totally engrossing installment than in the Reckless series. Uh, a perfect format for what they're doing. Uh this this sort of showcases a new side of Ethan, I thought. Um, you know, but they're just continuing their streak of pitch perfect mystery action stories. Uh they're not they're nearly they're nearly like like pulp novels. Like, you know, whenever you go into a a bookshop and there's the paperback bin and you, the, everything's a pound like
0: hmm. you
1: know what I mean they have that feel of that sort of pulp novels you know like
0: novellas type thing
1: yeah and I mean I say that knowing that the, the, what they did previously to this was called pulp and that's exactly what it was about um, so I suppose in there's some way there's a thematic link there but the emotion on the page is phenomenal Sean Phillips line work you know f- fueling that vengeance and the the colouring from, from Jacob matches those emotions, cool greys and blues and sharp contracts and explosive reds and oranges. That scene where Rachel shoots the guy through the car window, uh, that we see from, uh, you know, mid, mid distance, uh, from the front of the car is absolutely phenomenal. And I mean, while I did get a couple of, uh, Sean Phillips, uh, prints whenever we were at Thought Bubble, I think, I think the print of that would be phenomenal. And, uh, you know, Brubaker's words and story just weave all those emotions together. And uh, that, that everything, those things, you know, the emotions and the characters are really front seat. Um, uh, I mean, why there is a link between The Ghost of you and Follow Me Down and a strong link and you'd want to read them one after the other, you can still go into this never having read any previous reckless, you know, trade paperback or sorry, graphic novel. And I mean, you talk about jumping on points. Every one of these could be a jumping on point because every one has its own rich tale, and this particular rich tale is a rich tale of vengeance and how it can lead to a deeper connection. But it's worth going back, reading the previous volumes, to chart the subtle differences in the storytelling, and you know of of the team of Brubaker, Phillips, and Phillips, and uh, and the development of of Ethan. You know who at the start we were we learned. You know, an, an accident meant that he had, didn't have access to a full range of emotions. But it's almost like he's denying them himself because this, in this, we see Ethan really accessing a set of emotions that we didn't think that we didn't think they had, which is the love story side of this. You know, but but yeah, um, absolutely worth uh, experiencing Ghost to New and and Follow Me Down back to back um, if you if you have them.
0: Yeah, I mean it's. It- it just continues to be one of the best series in comics, irrespective of the format it's released in, obviously which suits it best, which is the hardcover volume at a time. The writing is just always great, the art is always great, the characterizations are great, but it's it'll, it'll never cease to amaze me how much of a clichéd world... Ed Brubaker writes within, but yet makes it feel fresh every single page. I mean, the damsel in distress, the one last job sort of guy, the guy who can do anything for a price. The, you know, the the damsel in distress who's capable of doing it herself. Is, there's there's so many cliches in these books, but never once do you read this thinking, "Oh, this is so cliched." You're just reading it, turning the page because the 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 momentum of the story, the pacing of the story, the. You know, as you say, the the dialogue just gets under your skin as you're reading through mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's recency bias. I mean, I remember saying this to you at the time, but I don't know if it's recency bias, but I think this is the best book yet. Um Yeah,
1: I don't think it is recency bias. I think it is the best book
0: yet. Um, I don't know if it's just the, the writing and arts getting more confident the more they explore yeah, this world yeah. or they get they're more, you know, comfortable in these characters' shoes, but <sighs> these guys do progression of time so well as well. Just as a little aside, you, you spoke about pulp there. That was one of pulp's biggest strengths was the, the passage of time. How a man who's a giant in one era was like an afterthought in another. Mm -hmm. Um, and in this, I loved the fact that they didn't leave it lingering. It was like, here they are 20 years later or whatever it was. And they Mm -hmm, hadn't mm -hmm. seen each other in all this time. And, and it wasn't just a, they met, they shared a look feed the black it was they met and oh here's a whole other part of the story to go uh yeah i just i loved everything about this book it's it's the only book that when a, a new release week comes along where it comes out i ignore my single issues instantly i jump straight into the trade of of reckless and it it's a big pull for us in store i mean it sells really really well but you know obviously we recommend it all the time but it's just the quality mm. of it gets people talking and yep. these guys have been so a creative team for what decades now and yeah yep. they, and and, as they say in the back of the book as well, like they've churned out although churned out sounds like such a horrible term, but they they've put out five full length graphic novels in two years that that output that momentum of output is so incredible because you look oh. at you know you're talking about Lazarus, you know should be out every three months, doesn't quite make it. You look at big releases, you know, like you know, we always go back to it, Doomsday Clock, you know, the release scheduling can really harm a title, and with this title, it never misses a beat. Like, you, we we saw Sean Phillips at Thought Bubble, and he just seems like a really laid-back, laconic man of few words, but see if you put him in front of, like, the page, he must just be a machine, <laughs> churning it out <laughs> like crazy, you know?
1: And I guess the, the thing is that, that that trade paperback, or that graphic novel, periodicity gives them more control over their time you know I, I think i feel like they're thinking about it as a kind of retirement
0: yeah you know? Well, it's interesting because it it does state at the back that uh reckless is going to take a little bit of a break yep. but there is another project that they are working away on so it wouldn't surprise us if it is something akin to pulp or my heroes have always been junkies, or just like a, another one-shot tale. But as you well, say... They've, they've announced it, haven't they? They've, they've announced the Oh, yes, of eaters. course they did, didn't they? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. God, I can, I can even picture the, the blue and black cover. Yeah. Uh-huh. What was it? It was the Night Eaters. The Night Eaters, is that? No, the Night yeah, Eaters was, was a book that came out recently. Uh, night. Which uh, I anyway. rather enjoyed. But I'm going to have to Google this live on the air as we talk, because it's going to annoy me otherwise. But, uh, yeah, I can even imagine the cover. Uh, Baker Phillips... New project. Boom time. Uh, No, it's not Neo Noir. It's not My Criminal Place. Night Favour. There we go. Uh, But yeah, new graphic novel. So same again. And I believe Jacob Phillips is doing the, the colours again. Uh, Brubaker says Night Fever is a story that's been scratching at the back of my skull for a long time now and man is this a weird one. Inspired partly by old black lizard noir novels and weird and sexy European comics from the 70s. <sighs> this book is a dark trip into what being alive right now feels like but hopefully a thrilling one for our readers too. I know it is the best art of Sean's entire career which is in itself is almost unbelievable. But it's true. So yeah, that will be what's coming out. So yeah, Reckless is taking a bit of a break for now, but they yeah. have said this isn't the end. There is gonna be more of it. So
1: that's not coming out until June. Yeah. Day 23. three. Uh, Twenty
0: twenty-three. So mm. but yeah, Reckless is one of those ones. It's become a staple in store. All five volumes are always on the shelf, uh, at all times. But again, you you can even read them in any order. There's no set reading order you can dip in and out and they're just so well designed and so well delivered so for sure for sure but yeah that is uh reckless the ghost in you which was Keith's third pick from october reckless follow me down oh follow me down i beg your pardon i think you uh, mentioned ghost in you in the middle
1: i did i did i did mention ghost in you as i say because they they follow one another run concurrently with one another and can be read (coughs) back to back excellent what's your number four sir
0: So my number four is one that I think I stole off you, but I didn't think you'd mind because we'd be able to sit and chat about it anyway. But I promise all these choices were made, by the way, before we went to Thought Bubble, because I just look over it here. And, you know, we've titles from, you know, Scott Snyder and titles from Sean Phillips and Jacob Phillips and this and that. And now we have a title but both creators were there, although I didn't get to meet one, but you were fortunate enough, of course. Uh, so my last pick is Damn Them All number one. So this is written by Cy Spurrier, who was a top bubble, and <laughs> drawn by Charlie Adler, who was a top bubble. I promise they did not slip us a fiver to talk about this. But anyway, just look at that creative team. I mean, the writer of one of the best Hellblazer runs in quite some time, pairing up with someone who has helped redefine modern horror as artist on The Walking Dead. And they they pair up to take us on a trip into the supernatural, published by Boom Studios, and what a track record they've had so far as well. So, you know, where do we sign? You know, it's in fact we were looking forward to this one so much. We also included it in our reduced three pound for issue one promotion. You know, we are and we've nearly sold through our stock of this already, and it has gone back to second print. So, this is doing great guns at the moment. So we do still have a couple of titles left, though. So allow me to sell you on it. So damn them all, meet. Ellie Bloody L Hawthorne, a cultist for hire. So, following the death of Ellie's uncle, who was a very, very famous magician and occult detective, the 72 devils of the Arscoitha have mysteriously been freed from their infernal realm, and it's now up to Ellie to track down each of these exiled demons and damn them right back to hell by any means necessary. Holy Water, Conjuration, or just her trusty, rusty claw hammer. What a great weapon, by the way. You know, it's interesting for me that this is only set to be well only announced as five issues although boom are very well known for starting with a smaller guaranteed run before expanding titles you know see something that's killing the children once in future and grim as examples because this issue does a lot of heavy lifting and world building it establishes a great core of characters an interesting and detailed world and did i mention 72 devils i mean it's right there this should be 72 issues long monster of the week issue (laughs) i'm calling it 72 issues (laughs) <laughs> but yeah I know this uh, Spurrier script is an excellent introduction to this world and it's magic you know working to establish both criminal and occult elements and, and how they are interwoven you know he's also what I noticed here and I think you'll you'll get a kick out of this as well or you would have when you were reading it he's not afraid to call back upon tricks of the trade he's learned along the way enjoy the full prose panel style he used on Hellblazer they're here enjoy the data pages that come from working within the Krakow era on X-Men He's found a way to work those in here as well. It's just great way of world building, great way of adding depth to the title without having to, you know, spend six, seven, eight pages, you know, explaining something that kind of thing. I also think that Charlie Adler's art is actually a cut above his Walking Dead work here, uh, and that's not to denigrate that at all. You know that his work on Walking Dead is iconic, but it's just I think he's given a bit more supernatural freedom here. You know he's got creature and demon design that's up there with the best around. You know, the world itself feels very lived in, used and dirty that we're being dropped right into the middle of it. But, you know, this creative team at the helm, there's no place we'd rather be. Uh, Just really great first issue. Brilliant uh, main character to be following as well uh, with uh, Ellie. And just the the mob element to it as well, I think, really enriches Mm -hmm. the world and really just adds depth to it. So, yeah, just I thought this was a fantastic first issue. Just, you know, up there with the best this month.
1: Yeah absolutely enjoyed it. I think what you say about um about uh Charlie Adler's art having a little more room to breathe <clears throat> and a little more space is is interesting because I think he's done the same with I think Sai uh, Spirit's done the same with magic in this because magic can be a tricky can be a tricky thing with regard to being a, a, a world building element yeah. you know depending on the, on the book so if you're if your magic system is too um structured it can feel like uh like a textbook or a, mm-hmm. or the or the, the rules in a, in a in a gaming book but the other side if it's too unstructured it can it can be like it can be the too loose the, fast. Can, there's no rules yeah, yeah yeah there's no rules to it and you can fire it in there just as a fix oh did you know, i forget and, to
0: mention this yeah
1: you know so so that that's kind of cool and what he's done here is 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 just hit that sweet spot where there there do seem to be some rules, but they don't, you know, they don't color inside the lines all the time, which, uh, you know, which means that they'll they'll be able to make it, uh, make it a lot more, more useful. And yeah, I mean, there's, there's definite crossover with, uh, with Hellblazer here, you know, and, you know, it takes place in a, in a twisted England, you know, in the same way as, as Hellblazer did. And, uh, you know, you have the, the sort of, edgy edgy wizard uh sort of as you do in constantine <laughs> but uh, yeah then you have her her big fucking hammer <laughs> you know hammer instead uh, of a
0: cigarette yeah 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 yeah
1: so it's uh, yeah it's very very cool very cool uh, really enjoyed it uh, really enjoyed the whole the whole first issue uh, as you say i think this this could be um this could dishes. be an ongoing yeah yeah it's uh you know exploring the magic there's a lot of legs in that. Uh L is a lovable bastard. Um, you know, the that sort of um, as you say, mob element, very cool as well. Um, so yeah, I, I there was nothing not to love in this. The and um, Adler's art phenomenal. So yep, I'm, I'm I'm well in. I'm well in. There's a lot of viscerality about it as well. Yeah. You know, so Charlie Adler was probably the, the perfect choice
0: even just that i really enjoyed like the opening scene as well where you know they're demonstrating magic and you know characters blindfolded and they're not supposed to look directly at the magic and things like that and you sort of see the blindfold slipping off a little bit and there's that feeling of dread and tension curiosity and you know that kind of stuff it was a really really great sort of opening scene as well and yeah just it it just flew by in the best possible way but again it, it you got good value to it because of those data pages, you know, I, I have no problem those being used. I think if they're used in a way that's natural to the story, which they were in this, mm-hmm. uh it works very, very well. And and again, A world builds but B gives you value. You know, you, you don't just don't blaze through an issue in five minutes, sort of thing. Yeah. So but yeah, as I say, we've nearly sold through our, our our allocation of that. It has gone back to second print, but we do have one or two uh, copies of the first print, number one, still in stock. So yes, that, and
1: that absolutely would have been a pick of mine if you hadn't picked it.
0: Indeed. So therefore, this is actually your fifth pick of this uh, of this month. What is it then?
1: Well, yeah, yeah. By by picking my pick, <laughs> you forced me into a DC pick on. Uh, oh, so see, I, I all feel it was
0: part of the plan.
1: I feel it was it was tactical tactical work here. So, um. My final pick of October is GCPD, The Blue Wall. Um, and but That's by uh, Academy Award-winning writer John Ridley, who's also on uh, Black Panther and I Am Batman, out of which this particular story spins a little, and artist Stefano Raphael. And it's still the core character here, or at least one of the core characters is Rennie Montoya, and still relatively early in her tenure as GCPD commissioner and she her goal is to rebuild her department restore public faith in the historically troubled police department uh during some of the worst conditions it's ever seen but she's not doing it alone uh for a plan to work everyone from the top all the way down to fresh-faced uh street beat officers must contend with the harsh realities of being a symbol of law and order in a city of superpower saviors and superhuman lawlessness um It is a six-issue miniseries that is set to be uh, thought-provoking and and somewhere in line with, I think we were all thinking about Gotham Central. Very much so. uh, By some aforementioned creators Spiritual successor,
0: really. Yeah,
1: yeah, that could be very much the case. Uh, People trying to do good in the midst of a a flawed system. Um, And we do very much see in this issue the darkness of, of Gotham through different eyes as we're taking on a journey of discovery with the, the Gotham City Police Department and its new commissioner uh, with the task of rebuilding, uh, I say, not only her department, but public confidence uh, of the people of Gotham and the police. Um, <clears throat> so the, the story follows in, in mostly Uh, a group of young police graduates as they embark on their career in the force and are stationed in various parts of Gotham with some posts sort of more uh, sought after than others. One of the group, Park, gets posted in the region of Little Tokyo, uh, which from the outset seems to be a great wee number, Um, but uh, you get the idea that it isn't going to be a, a, a free ride. And as the book unfolds, we have plenty of of self doubt and soul searching, and a deep introduction into life in the GCPD. Um, and yeah, I mean, one as we mentioned, like us, you might you might think immediately of Gotham Central, but this is, I think, much more in line with modern day thinking in the police with with John Ridley at the helm. Um, you know, since Gotham Central. The idea of police reform and defunding the police and so, so forth are, are are things that are actively spoken about. And I mean, this, you know, uh, it is John Redley, so it's important to note this book doesn't steer away from those tough topics like defunding the police, nor does it make the police department look squeaky clean. Montoya is a good person. We know that. And she's one of, still one of my favourite characters in the DC universe, but she's reeling from her own internal struggles and trying to keep them at bay while being a good leader. And the cadets are overly hopeful and are probably a really good point of view for the reader who isn't sure what, what Gotham might throw at them. But less so than spending out of Gotham Central, this story definitely spins out of Ridley's other book, I Am Batman, mainly because... It takes Renee Montoya as the as the commissioner of the Gotham City PD. And she popped up in that series and actually considered taking a role in the, the NYPD, which is where I Am Batman is set. But she's back in Gotham and the story heavily focuses on three cadets and, and bounces off some of the stuff she did in I Am Batman and the self-discovery stuff she did as the question. And uh, Montoya opens the the blue wall, uh, giving a speech to the new cadets graduating and joining the the Gotham Police Force. So, as I said, the main character in this issue is a girl named Park. She's bright eyed, bushy tailed, hopeful, uh, just graduated. And we follow her as she connects with her two fellow cadets. Also, maybe slightly less significant character and given fewer scenes in this issue, certainly. Uh, and they they go out in their first day. On the first day, she is pressed with a tough decision to pull her gun on a kid who may or may not uh, be a perp, and this leads to the choice not to pull her gun, which she sees as just normal. Uh, leads to her being hailed by the media as a super cop, you know, for not firing at a black kid. So she's, you know, this is absolutely ludicrous to her. Surely, the cops who cops aren't heroes for simply shooting for simply not shooting innocent black kids. But, I mean, we know that the truth of that matter is anything but. Uh, so her story is, is absolutely relatable. Her mixed feelings about being a publicity piece for the, the, the GCPD is a really interesting way of getting her in and, and a really fascinating story. And after ours then, you know, we, we see the two other cadets with different problems, entirely different jobs. One's named Danny and he's a parole officer. He's, again, hopeful and turning people's lives around. You know, even when other older cops in the same beat see it as pointless. The other, he's Ortega, and he's uh, joining what is called the Tri Corner. It's one of the toughest and most in need of repair with regard to community police relations in Gotham. And on top of all that, he's dealing with racism from fellow officers. Um, you know, so in their interactions, we, we can see certain sort of cops joining the police force for the right reasons, but maybe being a wee bit too positive given how dangerous Gotham can be. Um Ridley's dialogue is very natural, and 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 because it is so natural, it's astounding. It's really easy to read, and it drops you right into every moment as if it was taking place in real time. And again, he does this in, in "I Am Batman." His dialogue is just so accessible, readable, and natural to the characters. And there's nuance in what they say that informs the reader that these are characters, you know, who these characters are and, and how they relate to others and you know who they are in their in their in their own heads and, and private. Uh, the optimistic views of the new cadets, uh, Montoya, you know who's almost sort of disconnected at times, and uh, she's not sure how to guide these new cadets who aren't aware aware of the horrors of Gotham and that that she or she is, you know. And uh, Stefano Raphael, superb, gritty, realistic, you know, character, human centered. Um, you know this isn't this isn't superhero comics you know it for a a vision that maybe montoya sees earlier on um but yeah it's the world around these characters is gritty sometimes i don't know um I mean, realistic you know you draw they're, they're drawn on the, the realism of each scene and the, the world is, is is highly detailed thoughtful backgrounds like the diner random stuff plastered in the wall or the Busy city street. You know, it could be any photograph you see of a of a New York street. You know, so it's yeah. I just I really enjoyed this. Really enjoyed it. You're on this as well, obviously.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, it's it's nice to actually read a book set in Gotham that doesn't feature Batman. And yeah, it, you know, it's, for now. <laughs> for now, I mean, it's inevitable. it will show up at some point. But yeah, I mean, Gotham Central's always been one of my big books that I've always wished could be. You know elongated or revived in some sort of form. That's not quite this, but it's definitely done in that sort of same spirit. I mean, Gotham Central, Brew Baker, Greg Rucca I mean, that's all you need to know. It's it's mm-hmm. one of the best runs in DC history. But yeah, I mean with this it was just nice to read that. I mean I especially like the you're you're telling the story there of the cop who didn't pull the trigger and everyone's lauding him for being calm in the face of pressure when it was actually the opposite of that. They were just scared. And mm-hmm. yeah, well, yeah, that's yeah, you that's know what I mean. It, but actually, yeah. it's all about perception and you know how you're handled in the media. And it's like, oh, well, don't, don't tell anybody that that's actually the case. But I, I love the idea of these three rookies like meeting up. At the end of each issue, you know, to sort of discuss their day and trying to maintain those links as they're sent off in different aspects of the Gotham Police Force, as well. Montoya is always an interesting character. I've no doubt Two Face slash Harvey Dent will end up here at some point because they have a very complicated relationship as well. And I wonder,
1: or is is he going to turn up, or or was that all in Montoya's head? I think he'll turn up.
0: i okay. might be in her head for now, but I think he'll turn up. Uh, they, they do have a pass going yeah. the whole way back to Gotham Central and everything else. So, But yeah, as you say, it's it's nice to read, for want of a better word, a realistic tale set in a hyper-realistic world, I suppose. You know, it's just all about the grunts on the ground, so to speak, trying to keep the, the basic piece rather than the, the big picture stuff almost. But one's obviously as important as the other. So, But yeah, I thought it was a great first book. I mean, John Ridley's fast becoming one of those, if he's writing something, I'm reading it, sort of. Because uh, he's he's very good at implementing real-world stuff into the books as well, but not banging you over the head with it as well, you know. But it does make you think. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Oscar winner for a reason and all that. <laughs> yes, of course. Of course. But, yeah, the art was great as well. I thought it was really detailed. Yeah. I thought it was, you know, the, you know, your, your favorite clean lines. Uh, it was easy to follow. It was um, detailed and dynamic where it needed to be. But the characters were well-defined. So, yeah, great first issue. And same again, I've been trying to recommend it to anybody anybody coming in who maybe wants something a bit easier because it's, it's very much an entry-level title. It's not like you need to know the history of Gotham City to you know, jump into it, so to speak. So, yeah, no, great choice. I'm glad that I stole one of your choices and you threw a DC one in there.
1: It's all tactical. <laughs> well, all worked out, all worked out. But, yeah, and they definitely featured very heavily
0: on... On both counts there, Alan? Yeah, big time. And again, it it goes back to what we're saying in the intro about, uh, you know, trying to cut down pull lists (laughs) and it's bloody indie titles that won't allow us to cut down our pull lists you know, so, but yeah, when they're they're of such quality, it it, it has to be done, you know, so, but yeah, that is our overview slash picks of the month for October. Uh, Again, this is going to be our new format moving forward rather than trying to adhere to that weekly release schedule. We'll fill those other weeks with other stuff, preview shows. Hopefully we've got some interviews lined up in the next few months with some contacts. we made a thought bubble. Uh, And again, we we keep talking about book clubs. We need to nail down a book club. Mm. Uh, We know we've got one or two regulars from the store who are chomping at the bit to to jump on with us and and cover some of their favorite books. So we'll definitely look at getting that in the pipeline as well. Perfect. So that is gonna do it for us today. We're gonna to go and enjoy the rest of our Saturday. Hope you enjoyed this as ever. Hope you maybe learn some about some new titles you'd maybe missed along the way. As ever, get in touch with the store if there's ever anything we can do to help get you those titles, get those into your hands, or indeed get titles on the pull list so you don't miss upcoming issues. So pleasure's always chatting to you, my friend. And uh, yes, I might just go and read some comics now. <laughs> I
1: think that's uh, I think that's the plan. I've got a few little uh, domestic tasks to complete uh and then i think that's exactly what i'll do uh though ghost of tsushima is calling me i'm getting pretty close to the end of that <laughs> playstation 4 but yes a pleasure as always
0: indeed so cheers for listening guys and we'll catch you next time so i've been alan Teeler and this has been keith miller
1: you can find Alan in store at Coffee and Heroes and on Twitter where Alan is at Coffee and Heroes 1 and I'm scannyson 0 Coffee and Heroes is a local comic book shop, coffee shop and community hub in Northern
0: Ireland based at Smithfield Market in the centre of Belfast. You can find Coffee and Heroes on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram or email us at coffeeandheroes at hotmail.com. Make sure to check out our YouTube channel as well.